I think ego plays an important role in that ego gives you the basis upon which you have the courage to kind of step up. It's a comp- It's more a confidence about your own ability and the value that you actually bring. However, I think to be courageous, what's really important is the heart and the authenticity. And it's the want to actually create a direction and take people on that journey with you. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. On today's show, we speak to a change and transformation expert, executive coach, and the co-author of The Courageous Invitations. An accomplished senior executive with over 20 years of experience in transaction management, complex infrastructure procurement, commercial strategy, and project governance for major infrastructure projects for companies such as KPMG, Sewers Environment Group, Lendlease, and Macquarie Group. She has a solicitor admitted to the practice in the New South Wales Supreme Court, a chartered accountant, and holds an MBA in law and business, masters of science in coaching psychology, and has studied veterinary nursing. Apart from being a market leader in contract management and claims, our guest is also passionate about the development of social infrastructure, having successfully led some of the largest social and affordable housing bids in Australia. It's my pleasure to welcome you to a highly accomplished and high achiever and versatile non-executive director who has a passion for courageous leadership and in her spare time is a Pilates practitioner. Anne Dugan, Anne, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Craig. It's great to be here. Beautiful. And look, you've accomplished a lot in your very short time on this planet, but uh, I'm really curious, where did you grow up and what was that big dream as a child? So I actually grew up in Sydney um, and my big dream as a child was actually to be a vet, surprisingly, hence the vet nursing. Um, But I was subsequently through my studies and engagement at school, diverted into business and law, where I've worked for um, over 25 years now. And as my career developed and I got more and more involved with leading large businesses and leading very large groups of people, um, often, you know, over 500, um, I came to really appreciate the importance of leadership and the role that the leader plays in not only people's development that are working with you, but the success of the business. So that's what's brought me here today. 
Yeah, great. And so when you were at school, were you the natural leader or were you more of a follower? I actually wasn't the natural leader when I was at school. Um, I think I was someone who sort of knew what they wanted to do and was often um, the quieter individual within the team. Um, and I, I I sort of progressed that way as I worked through uni and then started in the workforce. But once I got into doing something that I really truly enjoyed, it became really easy to become that um, courageous leader. And that's what I hope I do today. And so if I spoke to any of your, uh, the people that you led during, you know, your, throughout your career, would would courageous leadership be top of mind or are there other characteristics that they would describe you as a leader? I think people would generally describe me as being quite courageous. Um, I'm often known to be the one who will um, speak up or raise issues that I think need to be raised. I think I have some beautiful letters and um, cards and things that people that have worked with me over the years have given me um, as I've transitioned through different companies and different roles. And I think that the thing that really comes out is the heart and that's what is actually at the core of courageous leadership. It's actually leading with your heart and being true and authentic to yourself. And that's what I think I bring to the table. Um, I deeply care about the people around me and I'm passionate about giving back and helping others to really be successful. And that is sort of why Jeff and I um, put, put together this book. Um, what we really wanted to do was share our experiences, um, talk about the things that have really made a difference to us in our careers. And a lot of things in the book, I think, are things that people never actually tell you as you're coming up through school and going into university and then transitioning into a career, whatever that may be. And that that is why we are passionate about what we've written about. Um, if I could just talk a little bit about Jeff, my co-author. So Jeff is um, a lecturer at Gibbs University in Johannesburg in South Africa. Um, he has a PhD in innovation and hence also the link to self-disruption and really being your best self. So what we looked at doing was actually taking corporate theory. I work a lot in strategy and growing business and developing um, people in business. So what we really thought is you could take a lot of that corporate strategy and theory and actually apply it to the individual. And that's what we've done in the, in the book. Hmm. Really interesting. A couple of things are popping up in my mind here at the moment. So when it comes to courageous leadership, the importance of partnership and having you know others around you and supporting you along the way, you know, from a courageous leadership point of view, you know, when you do have other people in your corner, when you do have other people working with you, I find it's a lot easier to be courageous than when you're just on your own. Like say for those who are solopreneurs or or they're trying to lead without a team, you know, senior leadership team around them. Have you found similar patterns? I think that's actually a really um, astute observation, Craig. Um I think there are different levels of connection that you can actually have um, with people. And often um, younger people that I mentor say to me, I think it's really important that I have a network and it has to be in my office. And one of the things that we've tried to highlight in the book is that actually your network comes from 
absolutely everywhere and everywhere. And that's the thing that um, is really important in life is actually finding people that you have a connection with and people that can actually help you achieve your outcomes. So for me, I actually find these days that my network is actually outside of my traditional professional circle. I find that they give me the challenge, they give me the stretch in thinking that I need, and they also bring a really different perspective. So I always encourage people to look around and find others that may not necessarily be those that they would have um, connected with at a on a on a business level or connected with on a personal level and really explore those relationships and the networks that they can create for you. And on the question of sort of people in business and people in startups, um, my husband and I have actually been um, working on a startup business quite recently for the last two years, which is due to launch hopefully in the next few months. And one of the things I I will sort of say is the network has been really important and that's whether it's networks of other entrepreneurs trying to do different things and bring new products to the market, new ideas to the market, or actually those in bigger business who are doing other things that need to be um, brought together as a group and where collaboration is really helpful. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, yes, the importance of having a very diverse group of of ideas and thoughts and backgrounds around you is really valuable. Um, and it's important who you lend your ear to as well. Like you can't just have everyone in your life go, hey, let, let's bounce off them because, you know, we need to make sure that we are do we are getting, I suppose, uh, we are getting considered thought and relevant thought to, to challenge us to think differently. That's correct, um, Craig. I think the really important part of having considered thought is that um, it's actually understanding others' points of view and really listening to what they have to say. As no one person has the same level of experience, no one person has the same relationships, and everyone brings something very different um, to the dynamic and the way that business actually comes together. And one of the things that Jeff and I have tried to really emphasise is that um, when you look at the magic that comes together, it's looking at um, both yourself and understanding what you can bring to the table, but also really um, understanding the environment that you work in. And that makes a really huge difference as well. Yeah, I'm a, quite a, I'm a big advocate of having <laughs> Johnny... <laughs> Do you want to just do you want to deal with that or? It's all good. You're all good. <laughs> all right, we'll cut that. Um, Stop it. Yeah, like for me, I'm a huge advocate of uh, co-CEOs uh, from different genders and different backgrounds working together in companies. And we're starting to see a few more of them. And I find they, they're really, really valuable. Um what are we seeing in the way of looking at, you know, that collaboration in regards to leadership and organizations, leadership and teams versus that one person that is taking charge or taking control of, of what's happening? I think what you're starting to see in business is that there's um, more and more collaboration happening. Um, just on your comment about the co-CEOs, um, I 
I'm actually involved with a homelessness organisation in Victoria, Haven Homesafe, and that is a really great example where they have co-CEOs and there's a female CEO and a male CEO who both bring very, very different um, strengths um, and skills to the table. And what that's resulted in is a substantial strengthening in the business over the last um, 18 months and also a really different direction. And I think that example can be extrapolated out into any industry. Um, and the other thing that I think is actually really important, not only the diversity that comes through, you know, having different um, sexes come to the table and different races and different cultures, I think there's also importance in diversity of background. And the thing that I've learned, and it's an interesting observation, I think, when you work in um, different sectors from um, banking and finance like I have through to con construction and infrastructure is that having people with different backgrounds is actually important because when you look at the construction industry, that's often um, an industry that's dominated by engineers and having others that bring a difference of thought is quite important not only in solving um, problems but in also addressing the way that things are progressed and the and the cultural dynamic um, that you find in in an organization so I always encourage um, diversity in my team I'm very keen to sponsor young women um, through non-traditional paths particularly in stem but also um, heavily encourage people from um, different backgrounds and, you know, people that have grown up in different countries and, ha and have had very, very different experiences because I don't necessarily hold the view that you have to have a consistent experience in order for you to do a job really well. And that's something that I've worked um, on very hard throughout my career. And I think the more you experience working in international environments um, in, and in challenging environments, which I've been very lucky to do throughout my career, you realise just what value um, that brings to the table and the level of collaboration that you can actually achieve in doing that. Yeah, we're starting to see less and less people who stay in one career path, one type of one industry now to starting to see that shift. And I, you know, I feel the it's so important during your formative, I suppose, adult years, you know, in your 20s and even into your 30s that you're you're kind of exposing yourself to different industries, different roles, um, experimenting in a way, use it as an experimenting time because all that collective knowledge and experience and the diverse thinking and that you will expose yourself to during that time sets you up to have um, a more open view when you're dealing with problems or solutions and you know as you go more into those higher leadership levels later on in your career and I think that's a really important point, Craig, because one of the things that I think a lot of people forget these days is it's not actually about the end fate or the end kind of um, position that you're striving for. It's actually the journey that you go go along or go on and it's actually how you navigate that journey. And that's really where I think you bring the richness of your own background and own skills and knowledge and who you are as a person uh, to the table. And one of the things um, for me career-wise has been that 
Having worked across a broad range of sectors, and I've worked in banking and finance, um, I've worked in professional services, I've worked in um, infrastructure and construction, in government, and advised clients across a broad range of other sectors, um, and in the social sector, which I'm very actively engaged in, given my support, particularly um, for women um, who haven't been as fortunate as myself in life. Um I, I always focus on the importance of, you know, what does each individual experience bring and how does it actually add to me as an individual? But what value can I actually contribute um, in each interaction that I also have with people? And I think that that's really important. And I think that that's what um, sort of sets you up as an individual. And one of the things I, I recognised in recent years was that There was a shift, I think, about three years ago where everyone was very focused on purpose and you have to have a purpose and you have to align with your corporate's purpose or your business's purpose that you're working for. But um, Jeff and I have a different view on that. We recognise that, you know, Simon Sinek's, the Simon Sinek's of this world and others talk about the importance of why. But what we say is it's actually about what you're passionate about because even if you don't have a purpose or on that journey to find a purpose, you can actually still equally contribute and have equally an equally fulfilling life as someone who is really just focused on, you know, one navigation or or one end sort of goal. And I think that's a really important message for um, younger executives coming through the workforce and looking to build their career um, on a particular career ladder. And my message to them is disrupt yourself and think about what you really can be doing that's different because you don't have to be on the traditional trajectory to actually have an amazing career and have a really fulfilling professional life and personal life because the two go hand in hand. Yeah, it it brings up a, a really interesting thought in my head, right? There's a big difference between a goal which is kind of a, a concrete fixed, this is what I'm going to achieve on an outcome in a way, versus a vision, what 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 could the end product or end look like in a way, like well, where is that, that future kind of space <clears throat> versus a purpose, um, which is why am I doing this? And then even, you know, as you mentioned around the passion. So I think sometimes they all get kind of brought together as it's this end destination when they're not they're actually quite separate things that collectively if you can pull them all together can achieve something quite phenomenal but you don't have to have them all to have a fulfilling life and i think that that's right um craig the the key thing really for me is if you look at what peak performance is about and that's really what jeff and i are trying to um articulate in the book and to explore further is actually it's about the small goals. It's about having the incremental um, challenges that you set for yourself. It's actually about having those daily goals and the monthly goals and the quarterly goals and the yearly goals that actually then contribute to that journey that you're on. And I think the other thing um, that's a little bit different in our thought and what we've sought to really engage with the reader about in the book is that it's actually about having the right inner advisor 
Um, and it's sort of the voice in your head. And as you know, in a lot of circumstances, people do have that voice in their head and it might be the voice saying, you know, I'm not confident enough to do this or, you know, I'm the quiet child at school in my case um, who doesn't always stick their hand up and, you know, make their point of view. And that's where we really got thinking about the importance of having courage and having those um, inner advisors that are really positioning you internally to have the right mindset, to have the right focus, to actually achieve what you want. And really when you're looking at, um, you know, doing your best and achieving your best, it's actually about trying and trying again and there's nothing wrong with failing. Yeah. Okay. So peak performance. Uh, all right. So cool. There's a good one here because you're in a way, there's a lot of things that come into performance and it all, it's all very much dependent on what you're doing. Um, obviously if it's athletic, there's a lot to do with, uh, mindset, but there's also to do with physiology and things like that with other things in life. And most of it is mindset. Majority sure. of it's mindset. Um, but there's a difference between, high performance and just performing well like there's a whole nother level um and i i'm always curious when people use peak performance and so i think to me that needs to be in its peak performance in what you do in your capability and what you what you strive to do in your capability because high performance is a whole nother level and that, that's a very important point and again that's one that we talk about quite deeply in the book um, when we talk about, you know, being your best self and, you know, picking and appointing your inner advisors, we actually talk to leveraging your own strengths. So at the core of peak performance theory is that you have to look at and understand what you're good at and where your strengths lie and also what you're passionate about and then stretch yourself just that little bit more and then that little bit more and that little bit more. And that's really what peak performance is about. Um, and getting to peak performance is, again, also a journey. It's not something you just switch on um, immediately and you're there. It's something that you build and develop and grow over time. And um, there's an equation and a formula for actually getting there. Yeah, peak performance is a daily thing. It, it's You cannot just go, I'm going to work on this today and I'm going to have peak performance. It will not happen. So I'm good. I'm glad. I look forward to kind of learning more about actually can you share a bit about that formula because i'm curious curious to know what your formula is yeah so i think the formula um just building on what i've just said is it's actually about um building those incremental goals for yourself so that's the first step it's understanding um what is important to you and what you can achieve on a day-to-day -day basis after you've sort of done that the next thing that you really need to think about is that whole mindset piece and how you shape the world that you're in. And that's really, again, what we've sought to do in the book is that we've sought to get our readers to really think about, you know, getting that different form of thinking happening by connecting with different people, by engaging your own internal um, advisors and engaging with your own thought processes to put yourself on a track where you actually know what you want to achieve and have a plan to actually achieve it. And that's what actually creates peak performance over time. And 
One of the things I, I do say to people that ask me about um, peak performance is that you have to have a level of um, selfishness. And I know that this is a very controversial topic and it's one that we speak about a lot again in the book. And the the concept of selfishness is, is that you have to be selfish um, to a certain degree to actually understand what you need and what you want but at the same time, have some um, reciprocal giving to others that are around you. So again, it's achieving that balance and ensuring that it's not your ego that's driving um, what you want to achieve and how you want to get there, but you're working with others and you're working and connecting your network to actually get that outcome. And that's really the secret to peak performance. Yeah, there's a difference between selfish and selfless. And selfless is when you don't think about anyone else. Um, Selfish is about doing what you need to do or what you you need to drive your energy to get the best out of yourself to help other people or to be your best for other people as well. Um, Ego, ego, this is an interesting one. Um, I see quite often people put out there, no ego. Cut the ego. Well, you can't, right? Like ego ego is your self-worth. You have... Ego, ego, everyone has ego and it's, and it's not a problem until you make it a problem or until you allow it to become a problem. And so in regards to ego, in, when we're thinking about courageous leadership, what part does ego play? Because we, we can't have low ego, which is low self-worth to be courageous. I think ego plays an important role in that ego gives you the basis upon which you have the courage to kind of step up. It's a conf- It's more a confidence about your own ability and the value that you actually bring. However, I think to be courageous, what's really important is the heart and the authenticity. And it's the want to actually create a direction and take people on that journey with you and one of the things which I always talk about when people ask me about being a courageous leader is um, the importance of creating your niche tribes and what I mean by that is is that um, you, you have multiple tribes in everything that you do and sometimes you need to leverage a particular tribe and go on a journey with that tribe and often that tribe actually keeps you in check whether you're the leader whether you're a peer or whether you're a friend. And I think there's a really big um, piece to understanding um, that dimension of who we are as leaders and recognising that sometimes leaders also have bad days, sometimes leaders have good days, but it's those tribes that actually help you become your authentic self, provided you have the basis within you to be able to do that. And I I think that's key. Mm. Okay, so if we're looking at a mindset to be courageous, um, there's a lot of things that happen in our life and our environment that consciously or subconsciously hold us back from being able to achieve something. Yeah. What can people do by themselves uh, to, one, be able to, allow themselves or to free themselves up from things that hold them back. And, and there's no one in this world that doesn't have something that holds them back. If they say they do, uh, they don't, they're lying. Because there's always something that holds them back from going even further. The, the true high performers of the world have been able to release as many as possible, but there'll still be something in there. 
Um, but when is the point we need someone else? Uh, I, I don't know any successful person on this planet that hasn't done it with some someone else at some point in time throughout whatever they're trying to achieve. So, so when, what can we do with ourselves? And then when do we know when to use other people? I think there's a lot you can do yourself. Um, and I think that the work that you do yourself is actually on you. And it's that ability to actually put yourself out there and issue that courageous invitation to say, I'm uncomfortable about doing this, or I'm potentially not even quite ready to do this, but I'm actually going to put myself out there and give it a go. And as I said, there's actually nothing wrong with failing um, and failing often because the more you fail, the more you learn. And that's where the other part comes into it, which is um, we use a phrase called um, betting wisely by giving now and gaining more later. And you'll see that through the book as well. And what that really talks about is being reciprocal in what you do. And one of the things that I've done throughout my career and my personal life as well is most people will tell you that I'm incredibly um, giving and of my time and I'm incredibly giving in the sense that if I can actually connect somebody or I can help somebody or I can further somebody's interest in one way or another, I do it without expecting anything back. And I think that that's really important in the overall equation of peak performance and success as well because I think what happens is is that when you least expect it or when you most need it, it comes back to you in spades. And I think that's really the secret, Craig. It's not um, necessarily about any of the other things that you hear a lot about. I think um, there's a lot in being reciprocal and not expecting much from it. And one day it does, it, one day it will come back to you and allowing people to actually see that you need help Asking for help or being open to receiving help is also really important. And in the in the um, journey that we've been on with the startup, that's actually been really important because despite my background and, you know, my abilities in big business, there are so many hurdles that you go through when you're, you know, a solo um, business person trying to stand up quite a big endeavour um, in any market, um, be it a you know, a small coaching business through to, you know, a new product that you're seeking to launch or a new restaurant or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, I think that's where it becomes really important. And um, as an individual, over time, I've built a really strong tribe and I leverage that tribe um, from time to time when I need them. And, you know, even it might be as simple as sending a text message saying, hey, things are not going well today and I'd really love your support. And that's really important and they're the things that really count. Okay, all right. I'm going to go a bit deeper into this one because um, it's easier said than done. And, yeah. and I'm, going to, I'm going to frame this, right? You're someone similar to me. I can see it just, you know, this is the for anyone out there, this is the first time we've met, but I can see in you already that you have a very high level of foundational confidence. So no matter what, I'll be okay. That level of confidence, that base layer is pretty strong already. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have a high level of foundational confidence. So just to say, I'll go out and give something or just go and ask is actually a huge thing for them. And without the space being created for them where they feel psychologically safe or have that permission, just doing the things that you you talk about so comfortably and so easily is actually a massive challenge 
So let's take a few steps back for those people that may not have a high foundational confidence that, you know, no matter what, I'll be okay to be courageous. That's a huge step, especially if they've been suppressed a lot when they're younger or even into their adult years. What can we do? What, what, what is going to help them just to even get that first step? Because it's a big step for many of them. So, um, despite who I am today, I actually haven't been that confident person throughout my life um, and all my career, to be honest. So, I think that only came probably in the second half of my career as I became more confident about what I really wanted from life and what I was comfortable with doing as an individual and understanding how I contribute to the world around me. So, I think there are many, many different ways that you can address um, either a lack of confidence or that fear that we all naturally and biologically have built inside us. So for me, I think it's been a journey and it's been a journey about understanding the fear that I have. And I'm not embarrassed to say that I have a fear of failure and that was conditioned within me from a very early age um, through the way I was brought up, through the community that I was a part of, through the school that I went to. And it's actually being able to rewire your own brain to start understanding and working within a space of uncertainty. And I think that's what it's been about for me. And it's being able to make that connection within yourself to those fears that you do have and understanding psychologically and physiologically what the triggers for those fears are and Craig I think once you begin to understand what they are and you're able to actually own what those fears are then you can start crafting those courageous invitations and when I say craft a courageous invitation it doesn't have to be huge it can be a tiny tiny little invitation just to take that little bit that little step forward or make that little bit of difference to what you've done before. And slowly, one by one, it'll actually make a great difference and bring a very, very radical change to your life. And that's really what we're advocating. We're not saying go out there and, you know, be hairy and audacious and do something that's so outside of your comfort zone that um, you'll fall down in a heap once you've done it, either in despair or, you know, out of your own personal fear and regret. But it's actually um, under normal circumstances reconditioning the way that you, your brain operates and the way you think about things in your life and the things around you to actually be able to do that. So I think that's the secret. Yeah. Okay. So for you, when you talk about fear of failure, and I, and I think at any point in someone's career, they're gonna uh, in, in their life, they're gonna have that point at some point come along. Mm. So from a fear of failure point of view, for you, obviously, you know, you talk about little things along the way, and 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 now you've got a higher level of foundational confidence type thing, and obviously along the way, you've built some very good. Um, you know, sort of specific found, uh, specific confidence levels in your areas of expertise that you built up over time by doing something regularly and you get confidence, so it's your competence. What was the point where you were really able to shift away from that fear of failure to a, you know, a courageous leadership mindset? So for me, um, it was about giving those fears a voice 
Um, and a lot of people go through life and you just suppress those fears and you suppress the things that are holding you back. And for me, it's fear for others. It could be a myriad of things that hold people back. So the way I did it was I gave those things a voice um, and I allowed that voice to actually start questioning um, what that fear actually was and why I had a certain defence or a certain response to the fear that I was having. And, you know, in, in the book what we do is we talk about the different types of fear and the different approaches to fear that you can actually encounter. And what we do is we break it down and we encourage the reader to test within themselves whether they can start asking themselves a question every time they start sensing a fear. So it's if I, if I am sensing a fear, how do I break down what I'm feeling and what I'm truly afraid of, as an example? And starting to work with that within yourself to un- to really understand what it is that's driving you. Okay, so what what if we're in a situation? What if someone finds himself in a situation where every time they try and speak out, they try and share something, they get they either get suppressed or get pushed down again, and they don't know how to deal with that situation, um, and and they don't know a way out. They don't know who they can talk to. They don't know what to do next. What happens in those situations? What can we do? So to answer your question, Craig, I think there's a few things you can do. Um, And I think it's really understanding um, who in your network you feel comfortable in approaching or having a discussion with. As I said um, earlier in our discussion, I think having a little bit of confidence that people around you will actually help goes a long way. And I know that often people feel isolated and they feel that they can't talk to others or they feel like they don't have anyone to reach out to. But you'd be surprised how many people you actually do have around you. Um, And one of the things that I've um, felt over the years when I moved into executive leadership roles was a real sense of loneliness. Um, And that was loneliness in being the only female, often in a male-dominated environment, or being someone from a very different background to those around me. So I'm the lawyer accountant um, in amongst engineers. It, it could be a raft of things that I felt in those environments. And what I realised is if you don't have anyone to talk to, talk to yourself. Self-talk is actually healthy and helps you explore those thoughts and emotions and feelings that you're having at any given point in time. And once you're ready and you've had a level of self-talk, then you can start talking to others around you. And you, as I said, you'd be surprised how many people are actually in the same situation. So look for those tribes. Look for people that have similar backgrounds or are in similar situations to yourself that are doing similar things. It might be, you know, a group of women who are, you know, in business and struggling to get their small businesses up. It might be a professional association like um, the Chartered Accountants or, you know, events that you might attend that the Law Society, in my case, puts on from time to time where there are like-minded people that have similar backgrounds to you. And look at who you connect with and build on those connections. Is it important to find sort of in those situations where you may be the only female leader um, or you may be, you know, a minority in a group of people, may not be gender, could be a minority in a group of people, to try and find other people that 
are more sincere or more understanding and have awareness of where you might be positioned to to look to them to help champion a shift inside that environment? I think um, that's one formula you could definitely use. And I think at the outset, if you don't have that ability to um, really connect with people and discuss some of these things, that's probably the safe approach. I'd like to use an example, actually, of Jeff and myself. Um, so I met Jeff a couple of years ago. Um, he's completely different from me, um, lives in a different country, has a very different background. He, he has a PhD in science and a PhD in business and innovation, um, has a very different um, cultural background to myself. But the actual difference that he brings in challenging and questioning and getting me to think differently is actually something that I think has allowed me to blossom as an individual. And I am eternally grateful to him for the things that he has taught me about what he's learned throughout his life. And I think as we get more confident and we find people that are a little bit different, there is immense benefit into connecting and questioning our own thinking. And one of the concepts we do talk about um, in the book is something called ampersand thinking. And what we're really advocating there is, is actually to start thinking differently about some of the events both in our life um, and that occur in our daily work lives as professionals and looking at how we apply innovation to actually get very, very different outcomes. And that's really, I think, Craig, if you get to the nub of um, self-disruption and really driving peak performance it's that self it's that ability to self-innovate and to drive a very different way and a very different approach and that is also important I think for people to recognize that that is that is the way that the either or thinking think more broadly really take it forward is is a component that we should all be focused on so you're talking about a courageous invitations. Where did the name come from? So why the mix of courageous and invitations? So we thought long and hard about all sorts of um, things that you could actually craft as a concept um, to really communicate what we mean about being courageous. And one of the things that we re realised early on in our research is that um, giving yourself an invitation is actually extremely important. So giving yourself the right or giving yourself the space to actually stand up and get out there and really progress your thinking and do and achieve what you want to achieve. So why an invitation? We figured that people often give others invitations. They let people do things in life, in work, professionally, but they often don't do that for themselves. So what we really wanted to do was encourage people to think differently about being courageous and saying you actually have the right to invite yourself to do this. And we encourage you really to do that. Okay. Yeah, good. Good. I like that. I like the use of the word invitations. I think it's important. Like not only do you invite someone else, but you need to give yourself that invitation, that permission. 
um, to open the door, so to speak, to, to have a conversation, to try something, to do something. What's the most courageous thing you've ever done in life? Um, I have to say I wasn't a particularly courageous person um, early on in my life. Um, you know, I took a very traditional career path, um, you know, stayed within my swim lane until probably about a decade ago where I really realised that in order to excel and be who I, I need to be as a person, I needed to do that. So the biggest thing for me has been really stepping out. I stepped out of law and made the decision to do something quite different. And I've tried to really position myself position myself in roles that are extremely challenging. And every day those type of roles take courage. So what a lot of people probably don't know is that a lot of the work I do is in very complex claims resolution. It's in very complex change processes and business re-engineering. Um, and they're some of the hardest situations, both culturally, technically, and spiritually that you find yourself in as a professional. And you actually have to have courage and you have to issue yourself with those invitations to get over your fear um, get over the things that hold you back and push hard to actually push through the the challenge, the adversity and all the things that happen when you're leading those type of programs in large organisations. And I think that that's what really got me out of my shell, Craig, um, and really got me to recognise my own value that I bring. And I wouldn't have done that had I not put myself into those type of situations. Hmm. When we look at where we currently sit in the world, we've we've been through a pandemic, we're going through wars, we're going through uh, a space, you know, a whole re-engineering, um, using your terms there, in a way of how the work, how we look at workforce and how some companies are embracing, I, I suppose, change in the way that we can do work. But we're now facing, um, it's been talked about for a number of years, like we were already talking about it prior going into COVID, but we're now at a point where recession is, you know, is kind of front and center of mind for a lot of companies. When it comes to courageous leadership, I, I'm because I'm really curious, I, I was talking about this on TV the other night, around the importance of the pressure we have from above as, and I'm going to talk about, a, you know, a CEO level now, and the pressure we have from above to reduce the bottom line or, or to, or to, sorry, not reduce the bottom line, to prevent the bottom line from dropping any lower or dropping too much. And so the natural, the natural way that people fall into doing that is to cut people, remove people. What if we could look at the long-term versus the short-term on this? Because the short-term, yes, we can sustain a, you know, a level of either profitability or we can either go or reduce the amount of loss we're going to have in a company. But the effect on culture, which is takes a long time to rebuild a culture if you're using the same leadership team. If you change the leadership team, can be can be switched fairly quick if done in the right way. Um, but we, you know, and, and the cost short term may produce a lot greater win longer term by holding our staff and actually investing in them when times are tough. That type of courage when you've got pressure from above 
and pressure from below, you know, people's livelihood, plus you've got those investors who want to have a return on investment. How do we deal with courage in those situations where the pressures are being amplified from both sides? I think they're probably some of the toughest situations that you'll actually find yourself in, Craig. The thing that I always, I'm actually in exactly that situation right now, um, if I'm honest about it, where um, I have made, as a as a leader, I've made a very big commitment to the people that are within the team. I've been working in an environment which has been restructured many times. Um, it's been um, merged with a number of businesses and, you know, people are tired. Um, that all occurred just before COVID as well. So when you look at these organisations and the pressures that come from um, your board, it could be from shareholders, it could be from, you know, governments if you're working in a government environment with budgets. I think the thing that I always come back to is that your thoughts actually shape the world that you're in. And I... I always look for the opportunities and I think that if you take people on a journey with you in these tough times, the opportunities actually create themselves. And, you know, whilst people naturally gravitate, and I'm an accountant by background, so, you know, naturally you always go to the bottom line and, you know, how how can I keep my margin and my profit levels at a particular level is always the first thought that, you know, goes on in one's head if you're in, in that sort of role because that's where the pressure lies. But ultimately, um, to be a really authentic and inspiring leader, you actually have to challenge people to think differently about that and show people that there are other pathways to driving performance of companies, driving productivity, um, driving efficiency to actually get that outcome. And I'm a really big advocate of getting people to do things differently and looking at how you can improve your business without cutting staff or making changes that ultimately the business might regret in a number of years. And I have worked in businesses where um, there have been substantial mergers and large numbers of people have been cut. And then a couple of years later, you find you just don't have the right skill sets to actually continue to grow and develop the business that you're in. And that's the inevitable thing that happens. So what I always um, advocate um, is that, you know, for the individuals in my team, that's your time to shine. So shine brighter, shine bigger, and show what you can actually bring to the table because we're all on a journey and we're all looking for those opportunities. So rather than be the individual that stands out there alone trying to find those opportunities and shape those opportunities create them with the team and your peers that you're actually working with and i actually think that that's the secret of true success stand together in solidarity versus trying to go off in your own different directions and and we see that right human behavior you know people feel a sense of pressure feel a sense of um, the unknown uncertainty and and some will fall into that trap of going the lone soldier so to speak and and they try and uh, they they can find themselves lost and you know if we look back at our previous generations they used to hunt in packs not in solo so it's a big thing to a good lesson to learn there from a leadership perspective how can we create environments that um, encourages and rewards courageous um you know our team being courageous in themselves 
I think the thing that I'm a big advocate of is um, people that actually have a true zest or passion for what they do. Um, again, in the book, we talk about the shift towards a quest for zest. Um, and I think that's a really important concept when you're leading teams and encouraging people to be courageous. For people to want to be courageous and to want to demonstrate their passion and really pursue something within an organisation, there needs to be some recognition of that. So I don't know whether it needs to be a dramatic reward or a huge reward. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. But I think it's about that recognition that everyone contributes positively in their own way and recognising that people are individuals and that they all have something to bring. And I think that's a very, very important message for leaders today, given, you know, the pandemic that we've been through, the potential um, economic changes that we're about to see um, in the economy globally, and more so just the change in business going forward as we become more international, which is, I think, something that we've really seen. Those boundaries that we might have felt were very present um, three or four years ago I don't believe are there anymore. And what we're seeing is you can actually work on a global platform now. And, um, you know, recent examples are um, that in my own world is that in building this startup, we've actually found that there's greater alignment with people in Canada to our business than, say, some people that are working in the local um, economy. So it's finding that stretch. It's finding the way that you can create that passion with others around you and to really encourage them to build that zest. And you can probably tell from me, I'm super passionate about what I do, whether it's infrastructure or whether it's, um, you know, the commercial aspects of the roles that I perform or whether it's really all of these leadership topics. I am truly passionate about this and I try and bring that passion to the table. And that's what helps you be really courageous. So you've talked a bit about a startup here. Are you able to share a bit more about what the startup is? Because I'm sure it's a bit of an open loop in some people's minds right now that they'd love to know what you're doing. If you can, it'd be great if you yep. could share a little bit about it. Uh, so uh, during COVID, um, we had an idea that we would um, create a new product for the pet industry. Um, it was born out of the fact that I, I have a Cocker Spaniel um, and I have had Cocker Spaniels all my life, and he's the absolute love of my life. But um, at a very young age, he was diagnosed with pancreatitis, and pancreatitis in very severe form is very difficult to manage. So um, through the journey of not being able to feed him anything and dealing with all the medical issues that he was suffering from, um, my husband, who's a PhD chemist, um, worked very closely with a couple of colleagues to develop a supplement product which has um, seen Lockie completely healthy and essentially it's turned his life around. So we've developed the product further. Um, and we've developed a product that we're bringing to market. It should be here. It's Australian made. Um, it's all natural and it should be launching, um, in Australia, but also globally, hopefully via an e-commerce platform in the next few months. And the thing that I'm most proud of is that, um, what we've tried to do, not only bring a product that doesn't exist in the market, it's a liquid. Um, so most people know how difficult it is to give your animals um, vitamins or good supplementation in pure and powder format. 
But the thing that I'm most proud of is that it's um, environmentally friendly, it's sustainably packaged and socially responsible. And with my commitment to the social services sector, we're using a disability charity and creating roles for people with disabilities to both pack and ship our product on the Central Coast in New South Wales. So it's a really exciting time for us. Um, we're super passionate about it and we hope we'll be successful. And we've put a lot of work into getting this product to market. Beautiful, beautiful. I love the passion in that. And thank you for sharing. Look, exciting to see that out in the marketplace. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I often ask questions and I think that given my training as a lawyer, um, I think asking questions is really important, but more importantly, it's listening to the answers that you get. So the way I work is, and people who work quite closely will know that, um, I can take a huge amount of information and really find the pathway through it. And I'm very good at that. And I think that's been the secret to my success in that I take information from everybody. I distill it. I think it through. Um, I really try and understand people's point of view and then apply that in my own life or in my, in my profession or as a leader, more importantly, because I think it's really important to have those around you contributing actively and giving feedback around, you know, how things are working and what needs to change. And that's my philosophy in life and I'm really proud of that. Very good. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Well, um, I have very, very big lists of questions. But I think the question for me um, that I'd really like to solve is, um, how do we make um, that really big shift individually to make a really big difference to those around us? So I'm always looking for the answer to that question and I have tidbits and snippets and, you know, bits of information that people have given me over time with their wisdom um, and I do spend a lot of time talking to others that are perhaps older or more experienced than myself in certain environments and I'm always surprised at how much they open up and share. Um, but I think that's going to be a question that I continue to ask myself day in, day out, because it's important. And I don't know that there really is an answer. Brilliant. For you, what is an inspiring great leader? And who is a great example of this for you? Um, I think when we were putting the book together, we spoke a lot about this as to, you know, who's inspirational, who's not, who's a great business leader, um, who's done something different. And the ones we chose in the book were um, Nelson Mandela. Um, and I think he's he's inspiring for a number of reasons. And going back to your point about fear earlier is, a very important thing that people need to remember about Nelson Mandela is that he underwent huge personal adversity. Um, he was imprisoned. He effectively um, had to work 
um, in very difficult conditions um, at Robben Island, and he endured the pain and suffering for a very long time. But despite the pain and suffering, he had huge um, personal um, depth and values where he didn't um, retaliate he didn't um, seek retribution, but actually he invited those that um, punished him effectively to the table when he was finally released. And when we looked at different people in the market, and we looked at people from the 1600s right through to today, we then um, compared and contrasted what he went through to others in business. And one of the people that we write about a lot in the book is Steve Jobs. And it's probably not why you think. And a lot of people talk about Steve as creating Apple and doing amazing things with a business. But one of the things that people need to remember is Apple had just as many failures as what um, other businesses have had that we often don't hear about. And it was that courage that he had to keep pushing and that courage that he had to keep listening to people around him and in the market to create the Apple that it's become today. So I would say those two individuals um, are, are fairly inspirational. We talk about others as well. Um, and one notable one that um, Jeff always mentions um, is the founder of Spanx, um, who actually walked into a jewellery store um, to buy a ring that she couldn't afford. And the salesperson, who was a, a male, challenged her to come back um, effectively wearing a bikini and she did to get a 50% discount so it's that sort of thing that you know it's these little experiences and again it's a small example of a very simple thing that builds courage for you to do that next thing in your life and what she talks about is then from going from you know selling fax machines you know door to door to actually creating a business which is a global empire and a product that probably features in most people's wardrobes hmm. love it and it's it's been an wonderful speaking with you today and you've shared a lot of insights and i know there's a number of our listeners who are curious to learn more about you and what you do what is the best way for them to connect with you uh, so the best way to connect with me is to, um, we do have a book website, um, www.courageousinvitations.com. So feel free to reach out to me there if you'd like to connect. But the easiest way to probably connect is via LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm very happy uh, to speak to people that have an interest in what Jeff and I have been talking about, what we've researched and studied and um, written in this book. And just more broadly about some of the things that can really drive peak performance. Um, and one of the things I'm, you know, as a lawyer um, and an accountant, one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping others in my industry that um, want to work more effectively, Craig. And that's something we didn't really talk about. But um, from a wellness perspective um, and the pressures that people are under daily, um, I think it's really important to create space. And again, it's, it's having that courage to do that. And one of the things I'm passionate about is actually helping people issue themselves with those courageous invitations to create that space for themselves as individuals to think about some of the things that we've written in the book to actually become great. So uh, both Jeff and I equally um, would love to hear from you, um, would love your feedback about the book. We're, we're actually writing a second one. 
um, and we hope to bring it to market as well towards the end of the year. Fantastic. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I, I love the conversation and going deep in around courageous invitations, you know, to hear about, you know, your, your love for, I suppose, animals and early on, but then being able to switch into the world of business and, and law or accounting and, you know, to share that, you know, you didn't always have it together, that you had to deal with the fear of failure. You had to be courageous and learn things along the way, which you are now sharing a lot alongside other insights you've garnered from other people and other people, people's experiences to share with the world in courageous invitations. Uh, I really enjoy the way that you express um, your passion and I'm really looking forward to seeing the book be highly successful moving forward. So thank you very much uh, for your time on the show today. Thanks, Craig. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.